One of the lesser known books in the series Chronicles of Narnia is called The Horse and His Boy. The main character is an orphan named Shasta. And at one point in the story, he has a monologue when he is all alone. He says, I do think that I must be the most unfortunate boy who ever lived in the whole world. Everything goes right for everyone except for me. Then he walks himself through all of the events he's experienced in his life. He thought he lived with his father, but it turns out he was kidnapped. He doesn't really know his parents. He was practically living as a slave and didn't know it. He talks about meeting Bree, the talking horse. This is Narnia we're talking about. And Bree has come to save Shasta. But once they escape, they are chased by two lions. They end up in a huge city all by themselves. And then Shasta gets separated from his horse. He ends up fleeing the city and walking by himself in the middle of the desert. And so he concludes from all of those events, I do think that I must be the most unfortunate boy who ever lived in the whole world. I wanna come back to that story in a minute. We have been in a series called A Kingdom Without God. We've asked questions like, what is it like for Christians to live in kingdoms without God? We know that we are part of God's kingdom, we are under his rule, but we're not fully experiencing God's kingdom in this life. So the question is, what is God up to in kingdoms without God? And we've asked these questions in the context of the Old Testament book called Esther, which tells the story of an orphan Jewish girl who lives far away from her true home in Israel. She lives in Persia under the kingdom of Xerxes. Now, after Xerxes got rid of his previous queen, he made search for a new queen with a kind of contest to see which beautiful woman would meet his desires, and Esther won uh, that competition and became queen. Now, when I read that book, A Horse and His Boy, and that scene that I just told you, I couldn't help but think of Esther's story. Because in the passage we just heard, it's very easy to imagine Esther thinking along similar lines. I do think that I am the most unfortunate girl who ever lived in the whole world. My people are living in exile in Persia, not in the kingdom of Israel. I have lived under the oppression of Xerxes instead of David and his descendants. I lost my parents at a young age and was raised by my only cousin Mordecai. And then I guess I won the lottery and now have become queen to this sexist fool and oaf named Xerxes and I'm doomed to live the rest of my days with him. She could certainly say and think, I'm the unluckiest girl who ever lived. And guess what? After all of that, Esther's story gets worse. Last week, we heard uh, about the story from the previous chapter where Esther's cousin Mordecai serves in the king's courts but refuses to honor his superior named Haman. Now, Haman gets so offended by this that he comes up with a plan to get rid of not only Mordecai but all of the Jews. He has a feast for the king, which is a subtle way of saying he gets the king drunk and offers 
um, this idea, this plan. He says that there are these evil and strange people whose customs you wouldn't understand, who disobey the king, and it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So he says that the king needs to get rid of all of these people in a year's time. Now, the king, who never really has his own ideas and loves to rubber stamp other people's ideas, agrees to Haman's plan. And so this countdown begins one year until all of the Jews are killed. Now, this edict goes throughout the whole empire, and Jews find out about the edict. It is not a secret. So, of course, they begin fasting. What else are they supposed to do? They can't really try and fight back and get destroyed by the armies of Persia. They have hardly any legal recourse against a king who gets whatever he wants. They have hardly any way to defend themselves. They have no choice but to pray and to weep and to fast. Now, this is in huge contrast with what the Gentiles of this story, the Persians, are up to this whole time. Because all they can do is feast. Whether you're hearing stories about Xerxes having big feasts, Queen Vashti had her own feast, uh, Haman has a feast, a personal feast with the uh, king himself, and this is what they're doing the whole time, but now we're seeing what it's like to be a Jew in this kingdom with this edict on the loose. They fast. The Gentiles feast, but the Jews have to fast. The Gentiles have power, but the Jews have no power except for one, one Jew who does have some power, and unfortunately, she has no idea what's going on. We're told in verse 5 of this chapter that Esther summoned one of her servants assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. I mean, this is really hard to fathom. All of the Jews of the city know what's going to happen to them in a year's time, but Esther seems to be totally oblivious. Now, perhaps the queen's quarters are so sequestered she's not privy to all things going on in the empire. Perhaps she wasn't told uh, because no one in the court knows that she's a Jew, so they didn't really think it was pertinent to her. The bottom line is she doesn't know what's going on, and she asks one of her servants to go to Mordecai, who is wearing sackcloth and weeping and fasting and mourning, and he says to Mordecai, Esther wants to know what's going on. Mordecai, you can imagine, is very frustrated about this, sends the whole explanation back to Esther, and even gives her a copy of the edict to prove what's going to happen to all of them. And he says to Esther, in no uncertain terms, you need to go to the king's presence and you need to beg for mercy for our people. Now, before we think anything negative about Esther in this story, we cannot forget what happened to the last queen in this story. Just a mere mere few chapters ago, Queen Vashti refused to go before the king. She didn't go before him because he was wanting to parade her around naked in front of his entire royal court. Now, Vashti was famous for her beauty, but her beauty didn't matter one bit when she made Xerxes upset. Xerxes tossed her to the side and got a new queen. So what could Esther be thinking right now? It doesn't matter how pretty I am, Mordecai. Xerxes can always get a new queen. 
Oh, and by the way, Mordecai, legally speaking, if any man or woman approaches the king without being summoned by him, they can be put to death on the spot. And Xerxes hasn't called me for a while, Mordecai, so I may not be in his good graces. Do you see the situation I'm in, Mordecai? Do you realize that the law is against me and the odds are against me and I have no way to protect myself? Of all people, Esther could say, I am the unluckiest girl who ever lived in the whole world. Now, last week, we talked about the evil and corruption of this Persian kingdom. We talked about Haman's hatred for Mordecai. We talked about how Haman's hatred wasn't just limited to him, but extended to all of the Jews. We talked about how Haman abuses his institutional power in order to abuse and eradicate the Jews. But here's the thing. In the midst of all that evil, we maintain the conviction as Christians that God is up to something. God is not inactive in the kingdoms of this world. And at the very least, we know that just as Haman is rising to power and influence, we know that a girl named Esther is rising to power and influence. Which is why Mordecai responds to Esther by saying, do not think that because you are the queen, you alone will escape. In other words, if there are people who hate the Jews this much, Esther, they will not have a problem killing you too. Do not think that you have utter and perfect protection because of your position. Do not use the position to which you've risen as a shield against all difficulties. At this time, Esther, you have two choices. You can be silent or you could speak up. If you remain silent, don't think that God won't deliver his people. But if you speak, God could deliver us through you. Now, we need to pause for a moment in this story and reflect upon Mordecai's words. He says to Esther, if you remain silent at this time, he doesn't say, Jews are going to be destroyed. He says relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He is confident that God will always deliver his people somehow. Now, this is incredible because this is a guy whose ancestors lived in Israel and experienced the punishment and judgment of God. They were exiled away from their homeland because God was judging their sins. And yet, he still believes at an even deeper level that deliverance will arise from another place if you, Esther, remain silent. So, you can either be the woman through whom God delivers his people, or God will deliver us in some other way. And then he asks that wonderful and famous question, who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This question, this two-word question, who knows, is asked at least three times in the Old Testament. When Jonah brings God's judgment upon the sins of Nineveh, the Assyrian king calls for a citywide fast 
and says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God tells David that the son he conceived with Bathsheba will die, King David fasts. And he says, I fasted and wept and I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Now, in Nineveh's case, God showed mercy and did not punish them. But in David's case, God punished David and his son did not live. So this means that the question, who knows, is a real one. Esther might go to Xerxes and get exactly what she wants, and the Jews might be saved through her courage. That's a possibility. But also, Esther might go to Xerxes, and the king might kill her on the spot, and God could deliver the Jews another way. Because King Xerxes doesn't care one bit about discarding beautiful queens. Who knows? Who knows? Mordecai maintains both of these things at the same time. God will deliver us somehow, some way, and yet who knows how he will deliver us. But maybe, maybe, your position, Esther, is not for your personal protection, but maybe the way through which God will deliver his people. And the whole story turns right in this chapter. Despite all of the unknowns of her situation, Esther tells Mordecai to gather all of the Jews and fast for her. They were fasting about their impending doom and hoping that God would deliver them somehow, but now they are going to pray and fast for her success. She resolves to go to King Xerxes, and she says with boldness, if I perish, I perish. Let's go back for a second to the horse and his boy. After the orphan boy Shasta lists all of the tragedies in his life, a thing or a person appears next to him. Shasta is wandering in the middle of the night, so he's frightened at first because he can't see this thing or person. And he says to the pitch black night, who are you? The voice says, one who has waited long for you to speak. Then Shasta repeats himself. I am the unluckiest person in the world. And he lists all the tragedies he's been through. And then the voice says, I do not call you unfortunate. Shasta says back, do you not think that it's bad luck that I met so many lions in my travels? But the voice says, there was only one lion. Shasta says, but I just told you that there is more than one lion chasing me. And the voice says, I am swift of foot. Shasta is confused. And so the voice explains, I am the one lion. I was the one who brought the talking horse Bree to you to save you from your home. I was the lion who protected you from many dangers you faced. I am even the lion you do not remember because you were a child near death in a boat stranded in the ocean and I was the lion who pushed that boat to that wretched fisherman. I am that one lion. I wonder what story God would tell to Esther. 
I wonder if he would say to her, I am the God who has been with you this whole time. I am the God who made sure that your cousin was in the same city as you because after your parents died, you had family to take care of you. I'm the God who gave Mordecai a job in the king's courts so that he could keep an eye on you. I am the God who gave favor to you for everyone in the king's court so that you would have the ear of the king. And I am the God who gave Mordecai the idea to conceal your identity so that you would be safe. I am the one and same God who did all of these things for you. There is only one lion in the Chronicles of Narnia. And there is only one God in Esther's story. And he is the one and same God who is in your story and mine. Sometimes we might think, I'm the unluckiest person who ever lived in the whole world. But I wonder what God would say to us. I wonder what story the voice in the darkness would say to each one of us. I wonder how he would narrate the events of your life and mine. We can even say this as uh, Christians as a whole. We're the unluckiest Christians who ever lived. We're living in a country plagued with racial conflict and we're politically divided and we can't get along and we're suffering through a worldwide pandemic and I wonder how God would tell us our story. I've been listening to The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, and I just finished the first in the series called Fellowship of the Ring. The whole story is about how a ring of great power falls into the hands of the most unlikely character, a tiny young hobbit named Frodo. He comes from a very innocent people at the corner of the world who don't want to be bothered and who don't want to go on adventures. After embarking on a quest that is full of dangers, Frodo expresses his regret. He says to his guide, Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. We don't get to decide what time in which we live. And so we may think we are the unluckiest Christians who have ever lived in the whole world, but all Christians and all people face difficulties of their own age and era. And when we go through difficulties as the church, we are not the first to face these struggles. It is true that our world has not faced a global pandemic in a century, but we are not the first Christians to face a plague. We can look back and see Christians who have faced what we faced, who've gone through what we've gone through, who've been where we've been, and who felt the way we've felt. We face many real challenges, but we must acknowledge others have been in our shoes before. We're not the unluckiest Christians who ever lived. Perhaps our God would say to us, like, he, like the lion said to Shasta, I do not call you unfortunate. Paul summarizes this view of God's activity in Acts 17. 
He says, from one man, God made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. From our limited perspective, we see and think that we are the victims of chance and fate, that the odds are always against us, that we've been dealt a bad hand, that we are the unluckiest people who have ever lived in the whole world. And it's true that so many of us, all of us suffer in many different ways, but we need to hear this good news again. God has marked out our appointed times in history. God has given us this time. We didn't get to decide the time in which we live or the century in which we live or the culture or society in which we live. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. And Paul says, God has a reason to give us this time so that in each time we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. This is what Mordecai is saying to Esther. You wish that none of this had ever happened to you, but that's not for you to decide. All you can do is decide what to do with the time that is given to you. Esther, you can be silent or you can speak. You can be killed by the king or you can be spared by the king. You can be the one through whom God delivers his people or you can refuse to try. And the same is true for all of us. We didn't get to pick the political battles of our culture. We didn't get to decide to live in a country with racism. We don't get to will the coronavirus away, and we didn't get to decide that it would come into our world. We just get to decide what to do with this time that is given to us by God, and perhaps we should seek him. Perhaps we should reach out for him, and perhaps we could find him because he is not far from any one of us. And who knows, maybe it's such a time as this,